Well, it's good to see all of you here today. Welcome to Westridge. If you're here for the very first time, we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, you can let somebody know you're here for the first time. If you want to get your Get Connected card and fill it out, you can take it to the Help Center out in the atrium and they'll uh, grab that from you and I think they'll give you some, some kind of gift. I don't know what it is, but it's awesome. So um, anyways, a um, couple things before we jump into God's word this morning. First of all, Uh, We had a big wedding here in this church yesterday. One of our first high schoolers ever, Nikki Lanza, got married. So I know there's lots of folks here visiting from all over the place. But uh, Dave and Chris Cole and their five kids, they've they've got a basketball team and a friend. Where are they? Where are you guys? Where are the Coles? Come on, where are you? Over there. Say thank. This is a couple that moved with us, started this church with us. Dave was on staff with us for many years. And uh, we had a chance to celebrate that last year, but I'm so glad you guys are here. Would you welcome the Coles, the whole family? So. Love when they come to town. Um, also, before I jump in, uh, we're getting ready to kick off an uh, initiative here that we've been planning for many, many months called Next Steps. And uh, this is something that we want our entire church to jump in, and so... Whether you are new to the faith or whether you've been following Jesus for for a long, long time, there's always a next step to take in your story. And so we want to get you involved in this. It's a four-week journey that we're all going to go on together. Um, And uh, we want to help you understand more about your walk with God, more about the church, more about how uh, your relationship with Christ plays into everything that you do. And so uh, if you're in a small group, you really don't have to do anything because your group's going to be going through this. All the groups are going to be doing this together over the next four weeks. Uh, But if you're not in a group or you haven't found a group yet, there's opportunities this week uh, on Sunday morning or Thursday evening. And you can go to uh, westridge.com and you'll find it right there on the homepage. So I think there's a, a slide, maybe not. There it is. There it is. Okay. Yep. Or you can just text my next step to 77453 right now. Okay, there you go. All right, so they wanted me to do that. All right, let's get our Bibles and open it up to the book of Hebrews, kind of the end of the New Testament. And if you do not have a Bible and you'd like to have one, slip your hand up and folks from our host team are going to run one down to you and you can keep that Bible with you. Uh, Just keep it as a gift from us to you. And uh, if you would prefer, you can open up your app right now and you can get all the scripture and the notes right there in front of you in your lap. So last week we started a a new series in the book of Hebrews that is going to take us all the way almost up to Christmas into December. And uh, I want to tell you a few things about this book. We started it last week. I know that many of you may not have been here because uh, we are in the Sundays that sandwich fall break. And so... Uh, I know many of you were probably on the beach somewhere, hopefully had a great time. But this book, this book of Hebrews is a deep book. It's a challenging book. It is a tough book to read and it's a bit daunting, daunting to teach through. I'm going to be honest with you. And you may have tried to read this book before and you're like, whoa, what is going on here? I think I'm going to go back to Philippians or something like that. But I'm going to, I'm going to do my very best and I've tried over the last few weeks and moving forward to, to make this tough book as understandable and relatable as possible because it is such an important book for us, especially today. This book was written to Jewish Christians somewhere probably in the 60s AD, 64 through 68 AD, and that's why it's, it's called Hebrews. It was written to Jewish believers that had a good understanding of the Old Testament. There's a lot of references 
to the Old Testament in Hebrews. I think like 29 of them. There's a lot of references uh, to Old Testament characters. And so these Jewish Christians would have had a great knowledge of the Old Testament. Now we also, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. The, The author actually doesn't attach his name to the book. But one important thing that we need to ask is what was happening in history when Hebrews, Hebrews was written, okay? This is, this is crucial for you to understand the book, okay? Early Christians were being persecuted. When Hebrews was written, the Roman Empire ruled the world. They occupied everything, especially Israel and its capital, Jerusalem. The Romans didn't like the Jews. The Jews despised the Romans. However, they did agree upon two things, two things. They felt threatened by Jesus, and they hated his followers, okay? So when Jesus was put to death on the cross, the Romans and the Jews together, they thought, listen, we put this, we put this thing to an end. This, this self-professed Messiah named Jesus, he is gone once and for all. But instead what happened was his death and then his resurrection birthed a church that exploded with growth and then ignited a radical movement called, was called the Way, which would be called, then became called Christianity, which spread all over the world and it spread right into this room. That's why we're here today. And not only were the Romans threatened by this spreading movement of Christianity, but the gatekeepers of the Old Testament Jewish law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were losing their minds. So There was tremendous persecution. Jewish Christians were being driven out of their homes. They were being forced to live on the streets, forced to hide in caves, live in holes in the ground. They were mocked. They were tormented. They were imprisoned. Many of them lost their lives over following Jesus. This was a time of extreme suffering and pain for those who professed to be a Christian. We also need to remember that during this time, there was an extreme amount of pressure for these same people to walk away from Jesus, to just give up on Jesus. There was pressure to go back to Judaism because it would have been safer, back to their homes, back to, you know, their priests. There, there was pressure to deny that Jesus was the Messiah. There was pressure to re- reject their commitment to Jesus' teaching. And there was pressure to go back to their old life before they received salvation. And so during this time, the men who actually walked with Jesus, the disciples and the apostle Paul, These guys were systematic, like throughout time, they were being killed for their faith. Most of them were either beheaded or they were crucified or they were beaten to death. Actually, only the only apostle that didn't die uh, being a martyr and actually died of of natural causes was John, who who was the writer of the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelations. He died of old age as a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos. But everywhere these uh, these early believers turned, They had friends that were paying a dear price for following Jesus. There was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of pain. So just imagine the pressures that they must have been facing. Okay? Every day, you walk away from Jesus, you deny the faith, or you die, or you get beaten. And many of them were walking away. Many of them were leaving the faith. Many of them were just quietly slipping away into into the shadows. And so Hebrews was actually written to these early believers as an encouragement to say to them, don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. Now I want to say this to you, okay? There is a common thread that runs through the life of every person in this room. Matter of fact, there's a common thread that runs through the life of every person outside of this room, okay? 
It's a thread of trials, it's a thread of suffering, and it's a thread of pain. We don't all respond to suffering in the same way, but listen, we are all pilgrims of pain. I have told you before that sometimes my wife, my wife, my life, okay? You're going to laugh even more when you hear what I'm about to say. My life feels like the wheel of fortune, okay? All right, there's Vanna White. Um, and, And the reason I say that is because I know exactly what's on that wheel, There's like six difficult issues on that wheel and the seventh one called surprise. And that wheel's just always spinning. It's always spinning. And sometimes it'll land on one thing and that's the trial that I'm dealing with for the day or the week or, you know, or a season. And then every once in a while, surprise, you've never hit this one before. And I'm like, whoa, can anyone else relate to that? Yeah, we're all in Wheel of Fortune together. Wheel of Fortune. Um, But here's the thing. Suffering is, it's a common theme that runs through Scripture. We see it played out in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel as they are just going in and out of slavery. We obviously see it in the life of, of Jesus and his disciples. We see it early in the early church in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul suffered greatly and, and he talked about it. And now we read about it in this book of Hebrews. It's not only a theme that runs through scripture, but, but it's a theme that runs through all of our lives. We are told that we're going to suffer. And you may not be facing persecution for your faith at the moment or, or having your life threatened over following Jesus, but I promise you that, there, that nearly every person is going through something. And I promise you that every, in every section of this room this morning, there's someone that's hurting. There's, there's someone that's going through pain. There, there, there are people who, who have lost a mom or a dad or a child or a brother or a sister. People who are going through a tough financial crisis. We have, we have people who are struggling right now uh, because they have a child who's walked away from the faith or walked away from their home and they don't, they don't know what to do. They keep praying and praying and it just seems like nothing is happening. We have people who are walking through dark valleys because of a health issue. Oh my goodness, in the first service, Amy and I stood down here and just prayed over so many people who were going through tough, tough moments. This past week, I was on the phone with one of our church planners, a guy named Lee Mabry, who I've known for many years. He's a few years older than me. We helped him plant Grace Point Church in North Paulding about 10 years ago. He came through our church planning school. and Last year in December, he was diagnosed with, with liver cancer. And, it, and it's a cancer that's inoperable. And, and so over the last uh, many, many months, I mean, as he's been going through chemotherapy and there's been a lot of prayer and a lot of rallying around him and Kelly, his wife, and their family and the church, the, the cancer has actually been shrinking. And all of a sudden it's grown back. And there's more spots, not just in his liver, but, but in his lungs. And I was talking to him last week and he said, this is, God's just given me this peace, and, and, uh, but, but it's scary walking through moments like this. And you realize there's people that are suffering. You, as, as I told you last Sunday, uh, we just got back, uh, Paul Richardson and I just got back from Burkina Faso, Africa. And I'm just telling you, everywhere you turn, there's not only extreme poverty, but there's extreme suffering. There's, there's people dying of malaria and, and waterborne illnesses all over Africa, but all over that country. We actually saw a woman who was trying to breastfeed her baby, but she couldn't because she was so dehydrated. Uh, there are people who, who are just trying to survive there on one or two meals a week. Sometimes the pastors in villages do that so the rest of their people can eat. We, 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 we constantly see people when we go there who, who've been born with extreme disabilities, literally crawling on the side of the road on their stomachs, pulling themselves down the road 
on their arms, their forearms and their elbows. And you just, you just can't even believe that that's going on. And we're trying to address that with hand-pedaled bikes and just trying to provide hope for those people. But, you know, most people in the world look at situations like that and they, and they go, what kind of cruel God would allow that kind of suffering? Who is this God that created this world and allows someone to crawl along the street or there's a mother who can't even breastfeed her baby? And suffering for, for, for everybody raises a lot of questions. And it raises a lot of questions about God and his character. I mean, how do we explain suffering to those who are not followers of Jesus? And as followers of Jesus, how do we face suffering without becoming bitter and angry? Because that's, re- that's reality, isn't it? When we, when we go through pain and trials and, and suffering, it's like, whoa, okay, God, what are you doing right now? And, and sometimes it just turns into bitterness. Now, I would imagine that those were the same questions that these earlier Christians were asking themselves. And this letter was written to say this, there is grace, there is hope found in Jesus that is greater than all of our sufferings. Don't give up on Jesus. He can carry us. He can be trusted to carry us through our suffering and our painful circumstances. Now, as we saw last week, there are moments in this book where, I mean, you're, you're reading, 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 all of a sudden, it's like the writer puts on the brakes and he throws up this warning. There's actually six of them in this book, and they, they come out of nowhere. And every one of them is a warning to these believers to just, he's saying, do not drift away. Do not neglect the salvation plan that God has for them. So I want to jump in and look for just a moment at the end of chapter one. We're going to be in chapter two today. But chapter one, remember when a book, when a Bible, when a, when a, a letter's written in the Bible, it didn't have chapters, it didn't have verses, it was all written, and those came later. So the end of chapter one, verse 14, there are two words that I want to, you to, to look at for just a moment. The words inherit salvation. Inherit means to receive a gift, okay? It does not mean to gain a reward, and that's so important. Inherit salvation, it's a gift. Salvation is a free gift offered to us by grace, not a reward for good works. Salvation does not simply mean here to be born again spiritually, but it refers to the whole experience of being born again and then the life we're called to live as followers of Jesus Christ. So here the writer puts on the brakes and and again, he gives a warning against drifting away. Hebrews chapter two, verse one, he uses, starts off by using the word therefore. And every time that you see a word like so for this reason or, or, or the word so or therefore, just remember that it's connecting everything you just heard to what is about to be said, okay? I'm going to read through chapter 2 and I'm going to give a little commentary and it could, could feel a little awkward, but let's just roll with it, okay? Therefore, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away. Now, I'm going to sum up Verses 2 through 4, I'm not going to read them, okay? The writer then says that God delivered the message of the Mosaic Law through the angels. And every act of disobedience against the Old Testament law back at that time had a consequence. God said, if you do this, this is what will happen. Good things, bad things. That's how God rolled in the Old Testament. Then he says, how much greater will the consequences be against those Christians who neglect their salvation life? Okay? Last week, we talked about natural consequences. And I I mentioned the fact, listen, when when Jesus went on the cross, God poured all of his wrath on Jesus. All of the wrath over our sin was poured on Jesus. And so God's not up in heaven going right now, wrath, wrath, sin, wrath, okay? There's natural consequences for walking away 
from Christianity, from, what, from neglecting our salvation. I mean, wasted years, sinful decisions, guilt, shame, just poor decisions. Operating outside of God's will can just lead us to poor decisions, wasted time, okay? Then the writer makes a really strong point about salvation. He says, this, okay, it was announced by Jesus, it was confirmed by the apostles, and it was affirmed by signs, miracles, and wonders. You go, why does that matter? Well, we don't ever have to question or wonder whether or not we have the full truth about salvation and how to live the Christian life. It should never be a question for us. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, are we neglecting that truth? We don't have to ever be out as followers of Jesus looking for the latest, the greatest, the new revelation, you know, the new person who's on TV, who's the spotlight on now. No, 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 it's all right here. Everything we need to know about salvation and living the Christian life, it's right here. We just need to learn to be obedient and fully committed to what we already know. We need to lean into our salvation and the mission that we've been called, every one of us, to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's the mission. No. Now, if you're, if you're drifting today, you've, you're here today and you say, you know what? Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm drifting. I'm, I'm kind of neglecting my salvation life. I'm, 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 I'm really at a stale place. Or, Brian, to be honest with you, I, I didn't want to come in here today. Someone dragged me in here and I'm struggling in my Christianity let the, can I just, this is a wake-up call for all of us, but a wake-up call. Listen, what, what, do you, what do I do with that? Repent of your sinfulness, put your life back in the hands of God's Spirit, and then come back to this calling that God has on your life right now to follow Jesus. Because James 4, chapter 8 says that if you'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. It's a great promise. Now, let's start reading in verse 5, okay? The warning is there. Now, verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, where is that somewhere? Psalm chapter 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with a glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now here the writer is he's, he's quoting from Psalm chapter 8, which is uh, that, that when God created earth, when God created mankind, he gave man authority over every living creature. And then he says this. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Think about this for a moment, Okay. No animal was a threat to Adam and Eve. They were the king and the queen of the garden. Everything was subject to them, all right? But that changed. Look at verse 8. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. In other words, Adam and Eve made a sinful decision to disobey God, and the arrangement that God had made with mankind all of a sudden came to an end. And at that moment, when sin entered the world, it brought consequences that we're still facing today. Okay? Not only did mankind lose authority and dominion over the whole world, but now it faces trials and pain and suffering. In other words, in other, in other words sin impacts every one of us and it impacts us in every way. Emotionally, physically, uh, intellectually and spiritually. Since the fall of man, man has desperately tried but very unsuccessfully to come back, to, to, to regain dominion over the earth, to take back things that were lost. But here's the good news. God did not leave mankind without hope. You say, what's the answer? Now, look at verse 9, okay? Hopefully it'll be on the screen. But we see him. 
who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. I know this is deep, okay? And some of you are going, what is going on here? Well, for 33 years Jesus came to earth, and what he did was he put on the flesh of humanity. He came to earth not only to pay the price that sin held over all of our lives, but he took care of the biggest problem that every single one of us inherited when there was a fall in the Garden of Eden. You say, what is it? it it's, it's death. He conquered death. He conquered death. God let Jesus suffer so that he might taste death for everyone. And he tasted death so that you would never have to fear death. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen, we're all, every one of us in this room, everyone outside this room, we're all going to die physically. But when you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you will never die spiritually. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, there's a couple things here, okay? Jesus took back authority over everything from Satan when he conquered death, okay? And it may not feel like he's in charge, but I promise you he is. We talked about this a few weeks ago in our prayer series. What's going on right now is that the kingdom of God is on the move and it's advancing, taking back one city at a time, one community at a time, one state at a time, one nation at a time, one people group at a time, okay? But also, the author of Hebrews gives Jesus the title that no one else can claim, He is the founder, he is the the pioneer, he is the perfecter, he is the author of salvation. Jesus blazed a path for every one of us and he calls us to come to where he is. Now, here's the part of this calling that we don't like, suffering. Okay? Listen, everyone suffers. But we think when we come to Christ, the suffering is over. No, 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 no. It's part of the deal. God the Father chose to actually perfect his own son, okay? While he was clothed in humanity, how's that? By allowing him to experience the same suffering that we face. Suffering is part of the journey of the salvation life. Look at verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Sanctify means to set apart for a purpose, okay? Then it says, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. Okay? Now, there's a lot of reading, a lot of commentary, but let me tell you what's going on here. Let me tell you what that means. Here's what it means. Because he became a man, Jesus understands our suffering. Okay? He gets it. Whatever it is that you're dealing with today, he understands it because he's been through it. He's walked down that road. Therefore, there is a grace, there is a hope found only in Jesus that is greater than our suffering. We all suffer, okay? But as Christians, our hope is the fact that Jesus has been there before us. He gets us and he helps us through it. He gets it. We don't have to look beyond Jesus for our hope or or even for our answers. And here's why. Number three, because he's greater than the pain of our suffering. He's greater. He's greater than the pain of our suffering. And because he's greater, we can look to him for relief and strength. And then the writer of Hebrews lays out four areas. 
He lays out four areas that we can look to God for relief and, and strength when we're suffering. He talks about, first of all, the pain of identification. Look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partake of the same things. What does that mean? It means that suffering identifies Jesus with humanity. Because of that, he can say to you, I get it. I get what you're going through. I fully, on the, I fully understand. On the other hand, suffering identifies us with him. At the, at the exact moment that you and I name Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become part of a fellowship that sets us apart from the rest of the world. It's called the fellowship of suffering. You say, I don't, I don't really want to be part of that fellowship. Okay? The cool thing about the fellowship of suffering is that we get Jesus. He's connected to it. Now I'm going to be honest with you about something. Back in 2010, I was studying the book of Philippians and I grabbed hold of a verse, you know, right in chapter 3 and I said, I'm going to make this the goal uh, for my year. And then I read it and went, at least part of it. Let me, let me read the verse to you, Philippians 3.10. My goal, Apostle Paul, he's writing this from prison. He says, my goal is to know him, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then it says, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And when I read that, I went, yes, Lord, I want to know Jesus. I want to experience the power of resurrection. I want, I want resurrection power. But I don't want the rest of it. We're going to stop right there. I don't want the fellowship of his suffering, and I certainly don't want to experience death with him, okay? But here's what you miss when you don't claim the whole verse, okay? God uses suffering to let me know that I'm his child and I belong to him. He uses it to make us more like Jesus, scraping off the rough edges, refining us. See, whenever, I, whenever we take up our cross to follow Jesus, and the Bible says we lose our life, we lose ourselves, what do we get? We find true purpose and meaning. We find real life in him alone. And then suffering just makes us long for heaven. We know that these bodies, these bodies are just merely flesh and blood and they are just longing, they're waiting, they're groaning to be upgraded to heavenly perfect, uh, perfected bodies. But listen, there's pain in the fellowship of suffering. But, there, but there's, there's also a suffering that comes through the pain of slavery to sin. Look at verse 14, that through the death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps us, who? The offspring of Abraham. Before we receive salvation, the writer says we were slaves to sin. We lived in bondage with no escape. We didn't have the power inside of us to even do what was right. We were slaves to a master named Satan. But when Christ entered our lives at the moment of salvation, he didn't destroy Satan. He just set you free from the bondage that he held over you. And he made him powerless over your life. However, and you know this, our enemy still likes to mess with us, doesn't he? He, he, he will remind us of our past mistakes and sin. He'll just keep bringing them up over and over and over and over. And when you think he's done, he just keeps bringing it back. And sometimes he doesn't even need to bring it up because there are others who are around us who will bring it up for us, right? And there's a suffering and pain that goes along with with past guilt and and shame. And 
and it just can, it can spill over into our, not, our new lives as Christ followers. I got a chance to speak to our young adults Thursday evening. I love that group, and, and I made this comment to them. I think it's powerful. It says the gospel not only frees us from what others think of us, but it also frees us from what we think of ourselves. The gospel not only frees us from what others think of us, but it also frees us from what we think of ourselves. And I know some of you go, man, Brian, that's profound. Man, I don't think I wrote that. I just don't remember where I got it from, okay? So, but can I tell you, God took all of that guilt and shame that you carry around with you and he hung it on the cross with Jesus so that you would be free from it once and for all. And so when Satan wants to bring it back up or others just want to bring it back up to you, you just remind yourself of who you are in Jesus and what happened to all that guilt and shame. Jesus gave his life for it. And then the writer of Hebrews brings up another type of suffering. He talks about the pain of failure. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like to fail. All right? If I have some fears, failing is is usually in that list because pain, failure is painful. It hurts. We, when we fail, we suffer. When we sin, we suffer. But once again, the writer of Hebrews, what does he do? He points us right back to Jesus. When we sin, what do we find? Do we find a priest who is unforgiving and unloving and stern and ready to bring down God's wrath upon us and has a whole list of things that we have to do to receive forgiveness? No. Instead, he says, we find a merciful one. We discover one who is a refuge. We find Jesus to be a faithful, compassionate, understanding high priest who has already provided a covering for our sins in front of God the Father. He's greater than our past failures. He's greater than our past sins. And then finally, the writer brings up the pain of temptation. Verse 18, he says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, when Jesus was tempted, he suffered. And because he suffered, he understands. He, he gets it. That means that we can come to our, he can come to our rescue when we cry out to him during times of temptation. We don't, listen, we don't have to, give in to temptation, and then cry back going, oh my goodness, no, no. We can, when temptation is standing in front of us, we can cry out to him for help. The original Greek here reads like this. He is able to run to the cry. He's able to run to the cry. In other words, when you're tempted, you cry out to him, and he's able to run to you. He's able to run to the cry. Why? Because he cares, because he loves us, because he's merciful, But he also knows what it's like to be tempted. He went through it in many different ways. He gets it. And he's greater than our suffering. Here's what I've learned about suffering, okay, over the years. It can can cause you to be suspicious, all right? What What is suspicion? Suspicion is usually a bad feeling that we have about something or someone. It's this feeling we get when we feel like someone cannot be trusted, or that something's not true, okay? You ever been suspicious before? See, when we suffer, we can't even help it sometimes. We get suspicious about God. We, we get a bad feeling about him. Sometimes we become bitter and angry towards him. Sometimes we start feeling like, Lord, I'm not sure you can be trusted. 
I like the salvation part over here, but the suffering, I, I, I don't really even know that you care. Or we begin to go down the road where some of these early believers started going down, maybe where some of you are headed now, or maybe where some of your kids have gone, you look and go, hmm, there's no way that a God like that exists. Hmm. No. What kind of God is that who creates humanity and then allows that kind of suffering? We have questions like that. Part of the reason we have questions like that is that we've let a lot of bad theology creep into our lives. A lot of bad TV, whatever, a lot of this, a lot of that, okay? But I want to say this to you. God is very honest with us about suffering, isn't he? You look through the Old Testament, you look through the New Testament, you look through, he's very honest. He lays it out. It's been the same since it was written. The writer of Hebrews talks about it. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. Jesus talks about it. It's the part of the Christian life that we don't like. But it actually identifies you as a follower of Jesus. It identifies Jesus with you. In other words, he understands. He's been there. He gets it. And he's able to help you. He's able to comfort you. He's able to carry you. He's able to run to the cry. He can run to the cry. One of my favorite books in the, in the Bible is the book of 1 Peter. It's actually a book written to the first century Christians who, like these Hebrews, had been scattered all over the world. As a matter of fact, they were, they were, these particular um, recipients of 1 Peter were, were scattered all over what would be considered modern-day Turkey. Galatia, Cappadonia, Pontus, different places like that. They were being heavily persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Many of them were being beaten and put to death. There was just an overwhelming amount of suffering. And Peter wrote a letter to these early Christians to give them hope. This whole, the whole book of 1 Peter is about hope. What is hope? Hope is a strong, confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and presence. It's a, it's a strong, confident expectation in God's future faithfulness and presence. Sometimes we're suspicious that God's up to bad things. I want to be suspicious that God's up to good things. And here at the very end of what, first, what Peter writes at 1 Peter 5, 10, he says, and after you suffered a little while, okay, talking to all of them, after you suffered a little while, he says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ he himself, he himself will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you and he will establish you. That means that every one of us in this room that knows Jesus Christ personally as Savior, we're going to deal with pain. We're going to deal with trials. We're going to go through seasons of suffering. But what sets us apart from everyone else in this fellowship of suffering is we have hope. Our hope is found in Jesus, the God of all grace. After you've suffered for a little while, after you've gone through that season that you're in right now, he says, I'll restore you, I'll confirm you, I'll strengthen you. He says, I'll establish you. You say, how can he do that? Because he gets it. He's been there. He's walked down the road and he is greater than your suffering. He's greater than your suffering. Um, I've looked out across this crowd as I've been speaking this morning, and I want you to know this is a deep passage. I, you know, there's a lot of commentary in there, and it's easy during moments like that to kind of 
drift off, start thinking about lunch, the Falcons, what team won, lost yesterday. And, um, and then all of a sudden you get pulled back in. And, okay, and you're like, here I am, the reality of my life and what I'm dealing with. And I know some of you, you're, you're dealing with health issues. I don't know all of you. I don't know what all of you are dealing with, but I, but I know for a fact that some of you are dealing with children who are struggling right now. They, maybe they've walked away from you, walked away from the faith. They're, you don't know what's going to happen. There, there, there's some of you in here who you had a spouse leave you. You went through a job crisis. You don't, you don't know what the future looks like. You, you're currently dealing with a health issue. We had so many people in the first service that came up and dealing with cancer, dealing with life-threatening illnesses. And it's during those moments, seriously, where you're just, you're like, God, where are you? I don't get this. I don't understand. I don't, how could you do this to me? Lord, I'm, what, what, what just happened here? God's honest about it, this with us. We're going to suffer. We're part of a fellowship of suffering. But we have Jesus who understands, who will carry you, who, who will give you hope. He's greater than your suffering. And here's what I want you to see. I want you just to, without being awkward, look around for just a moment. Would you just look around this auditorium? I don't know how many people are in here right now. I don't know what the head count is in this service. But can I tell you, there's a thread running through this room. There's a thread. You may not like this, but we're all connected. We're all going to go through pain. We're all going to go through trials. We're all going to go through suffering. We are the fellowship of the sufferers. We are the pilgrims of pain, but we have Jesus. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. We had, we had some folks in the first service. I was looking around. I mean, I could, there's a little less in that crowd. I can see a little bit better who's in there. But, you know, I see my friend Robert Tammy who lost a daughter. They're part of our fellowship. It's what we do, right? My friend Chuck and Carla. Chuck's one of our elders. Carla's on our team. They've lost more people in the last year than almost anybody I've ever met. Moms, dads, sisters, I mean... Is. But what do we, we, we put our arms around that couple because we're part of the fellowship of sufferers because we've got Jesus. That's our hope. That's why we can wrap our arms around people right now and go, we're with you. And I know some of you, you're like, man, I'm so glad I'm not suffering. Here's what I found. You're either going into it, you're either in it, or you're coming out of it. And when you're not in it, that's what you do is you reach back and you help those who are in it. And then those people help you when you're in it. And that's what we do. Um, I threw these guys a curveball in the first service. So I'm going to stand down here. I don't normally do this, okay? But I want to I pastor you for a moment, shepherd you if I could. I'm going to ask just a moment when I come down. Amy's going to join me, my wife. Um, we're going to just stand and sing. Uh, quietly, some of you who just need to pray. You can pray from your seat, but you're just like, I'm so in it. I just need to, t- I need to tell someone what I'm going through. I need to know, uh, I need to tell my pastor. I need to let other people know. I just need somebody. I'm gonna ask you to come down. And here's what's gonna happen. You can, Amy and I are gonna be here. You can just tell us what you're going through and we're just gonna hug you. And then I'm just gonna have someone pray with you. So right now I wanna ask all of our prayer team, 
our elders, those on staff who are here that can help me, ladies especially, if you would just get up quietly and move to both sides of the room, if you would. Would you bow your head for just a moment, everyone? If you're here today and you've never put your faith and your trust alone in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you're lost without Him. Would you pray with me at this moment? Just say, Father, at this moment I realize I'm lost in desperate need of a Savior, in desperate need of forgiveness. Oh, Lord, I need new life. I need something, someone to breathe life into me. And Jesus, you are that one. You're the only one. I need hope, and I can't find it outside of you. And so today I receive salvation by faith as a gift through grace. I don't deserve this. Lord, would you help me at this moment? I receive salvation into my life. Would you forgive me of my sins? And I say yes to you. If you've just prayed that prayer with me, would you just look up? Everyone else, just, if you would keep your head bowed for a moment, would you just get your phone out, text FOLLOW to 77453, get your Get Connected card out. You can come tell me about it if you want to. But it is so important that we take, help you take your next step, that we come alongside of you at this very moment, most important decision you'll ever make in your life. But Father, for the rest of us, Lord, who, who do know you, Lord, we're, we're part of that fellowship of sufferers, Lord. But what makes us different is Jesus, though, Lord. Thank you. But we're still struggling. And there's people in this room that are struggling, who are, who are suffering today, who need to be reminded that we have a living hope. His name is Jesus. And at the right moment, Father, you will establish us. You will confirm us. You will restore us. You will strengthen us. And we praise you for that today. We praise you for that today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. All right, would you stand quietly?